Thanks for joining us for the City Church Podcast. More information on City Church is available at www.ourcitychurch.org. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 12. For just as the body is one and it has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit you are all baptized into one body. Jews and Greeks, slaves are free and all were made to drink of one spirit. Now, I want you to have a little fun with me this morning. Is that okay? Good. Two people are excited about having fun. I want you just to uh, say with me every time the scripture says the word one, I want you to say it out loud as loud as you can because uh, we got to get a little crazy today, okay? For just as the body is one. good, that was good, and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one. body, so it is with Christ. For in one. spirit, we were ba- all baptized into body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of what? Yeah, spirit. So that was good. That was good. This area really carried it. Thank you. Um, the rest of you need to take some notes from them. They were, they were it. But you notice in that passage that there's a lot of times that the Apostle Paul writes the word one, right? I mean, it's probably, you know, you know, a pretty important word in Paul's mind as he talks about this topic. And so we see in scripture that we are all supposed to drink of one spirit, right? It's amazing how we as humans take the very thing that God called to unite us and divide over it. Isn't it? I mean, it's just, we have a gift for that, don't we? as human beings, and it's very often this idea of the Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit is very often misunderstood and very often misapplied. And so what we want to do today is try to clear out some of the brush so that we can actually see the glory of God and experience His grace. So, um, you know, there's a few categories that people oftentimes fall into. There are the spiritually elite. They're those individuals who every time you see them, they prophesy over you. And every time you see them, they levitate six or eight inches off the ground. Um, They can talk in every language known to man, you know, fluently. I mean, they are just the super, super spiritually. And unfortunately, you've probably experienced this. These individuals that are super spiritual, very oftentimes for whatever reason, not all the time, of course, but too many times, it seems like these people can speak in every tongue, they can prophesy, but they don't know how to love their wife, or they cheat on their husband, or they don't take care of their kids, or they, they don't do the basic truths of Christianity that are so important, so critical. They don't give, they're not generous, they don't understand some of the very basics, and yet we see these people as spiritually elite, and then there are these huge gaps. Ever experienced that before? Okay, good. Yeah, and so um, one honest person in the room, you guys are, it's okay. Uh, But then the other people that we see very often are those that are incredibly godly, that they know scripture, they understand kindness, they have a solid family, um, but uh, they never hear from God personally. They say, well, I hear from God in the scripture, and that's critical, but they never hear from God personally. They never see the miraculous in their lives, and some, for some reason, they're content with that reality. And what I would say at City Church here and in this community is that we cannot afford to mess this one up. We cannot afford to be spiritual superstars with no character, and we cannot afford to be solid in our character with no supernatural power. These things are just not options. This is not 
what we can afford to do. So uh, what we're talking about through this series, and if you're here two weeks ago, we started it off with a sermon called The Importance of Seeing, which really is a foundation. How many of you were here for that sermon, The Importance of Seeing? We talked about Elisha. Good, lots of us. So um, if you were not here, I encourage you, uh, check out the podcast at ourcitychurch.org. It'll kind of catch you up because we're laying on top of that foundation today and building some things. But there's this idea that I'm proposing and encouraging, which is a biblical idea, which is this idea of being a people who are naturally supernatural, a people that are centered on Jesus, a people that value and honor and live our lives by scripture, a people who live authentically, actually practice our Christian faith, a people who are also led by the spirit and see miracles. Now, I don't want to freak you out today, okay? Turn to the person next to you and say, don't get freaked out today. Don't get freaked out. Yeah, it's okay. You don't have to get freaked out today. I'm not wearing a white suit. Um, we're not, although I think white suits are kind of cool, not going to lie, but I don't own one. It doesn't go well with my complexion. But, um, but you know, I, I'm, I'm not uh, going to, you know, take six offerings today, all right? Um, that's not what's going to happen. So don't be freaked out, all right? However, there's a caveat to that. And that is that far too often in our Christian faith, we desire to have control. And so we try to stay away from the supernatural because the supernatural, the gifts and the power of God and the filling of the Spirit, seems to make us feel like we're losing control, losing control of ourselves, losing control of the meeting, losing control of what's happening in our lives. And if that's where you're at, then this will make you feel uncomfortable, and I don't apologize for that. Because the thing is, God is supernatural. He is. He's a supernatural God, and so he does supernatural things. And I don't know how you and I have somehow learned to read this Bible and miss all of the supernatural implications that it has. Because this Bible is packed full of practical Christian living and supernatural responsibility. And so our goal here today is to understand who is the Holy Spirit. What is the filling of the Holy Spirit? How do I receive the filling of the Holy Spirit? How is someone filled? And so these things, like I said, um, are a little bit murky, and by the grace of God, we're going to clean them up. So let's pray. You ready? Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we need you desperately. We welcome you right now. We just pause from all of our busy lives. Jesus, I know some of us in this room have never asked these questions. These are all kind of new thoughts. Some of us in this room have been hurt by false teaching on this issue. Some of us have heard no teaching on this issue. God, uh, there's, I'm sure there's a whole gamut of individuals in this room that uh, are just full of questions and issues. And Lord, um, we don't want to try to intellectually satisfy every question as much as we want to uh, clarify what you've declared through the scripture and in that satisfy both our reason and our spirits. So Lord, we submit to you now. I pray, God, that you would awaken us, that you'd speak to us. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Numbers chapter 11, verse 26. We're going to start in the Old Testament, walk through a significant portion of Scripture, and, uh, and then end up somewhere in Ephesians. You ready? Numbers chapter 11, verse 26. Now, two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad. And the spirit rested on them, and they were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran to Moses and ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Interesting names, but, you know, it's all good. And so Joshua, the son of Nun, um, also a strange name, uh, 
the assistant of Moses from his youth said, my Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, this is very important, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And so we see Moses in the Old Testament, the one who introduced the law, a prophet of God. There are two other individuals, Eldad and Medad, who are prophesying. And, uh, you know, Moses' assistant Joshua is like, Moses, they can't be doing that. That's your gig. Like, if they start blowing up your spot, you're not going to be the man anymore. They're going to be the man, and it's going to get messy, and so you've got to be the guy. And Moses clarifies. He says, no, no, Joshua, you don't understand. I want everybody. Wouldn't it be amazing if everybody moved in the power of the Holy Spirit? In other words, he doesn't pack this all, but what he's saying fundamentally is we're living in an era, Joshua, where God has sovereignly chosen specific individuals in which his spirit will rest, but I wish there were a time, and even the prophet Moses, his words echo with prophetic implications, that there would be a time when everyone could experience this type of supernatural power. Jeremiah 31, 31. Years later, the prophet Jeremiah makes this declaration. We've covered this passage in previous scriptures before, but we'll read it again today. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So God is describing through the prophet Jeremiah a time, friends, where there will be a new covenant introduced, a new supernatural agreement between God and people, okay? And so he says, this is the way that it's going to work. And he says in verse 34, no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. And so God is describing a time when he'll remove the issue of sin allow people to step into God's presence without any sin separating them from God, and then he'll have intimate communion and fellowship with each of those people. How's it going to happen? Ezekiel tells us, Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27. And I, the Lord, says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And so what we're seeing is the prophet Ezekiel now tells us that the issue, the transformative issue is now the spirit is going to begin to live in people. And that supernatural spirit that's living in people will enable those people to actually live the commands that God requires. You all staying with this so far? Okay, great. Not encouraging. So then we see in the prophet Joel, just a few years later, the prophet Joel speaks again, and we covered this two weeks ago. When the prophet Joel in verse two, we know that Peter prophesies this and speaks it out in Acts chapter two, but he says this, the prophet Joel says this, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. We see that again, all flesh, all flesh. In other words, as Moses declared, oh, I wish everybody could do this. I wish the spirit would fall on all people. His declaration is finding credibility in God's future plan. And so Jeremiah says it's going to happen. Ezekiel says it's going to happen. And Joel tells us it's going to happen. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. There's going to be a new supernatural filling for all people. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even your male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Okay. If you're new to City Church and this is all kind of strange to you, just stay with it because I promise it will clear up. What we're seeing in the scripture is that all through human history, 
through the people, the Hebrew people, God continues to prophesy about a time in which the Spirit of God will fill everyone who comes to him. That sin will be removed because of the cross. That we'll no longer be guilty of our sins before God because he's removed them in the sacrifice of Jesus. And that enables him to then fill us with the Holy Spirit. Then Jesus steps on the scene. He opens the books and he says, listen, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the God. And he begins to declare that the time of Jubilee, the era of reconciliation between God and man has been inaugurated through Christ. And so he comes in and declares that truth. And then he tells his disciples in John 14, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the Lord cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So what we find is that the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is not a feeling. The Holy Spirit is a person. And that person is a th- the third person of the Trinity. So fully God, just as Jesus is fully God, fully God, just as the Father is fully God, this third person, the Holy Spirit, will be sent from heaven to humanity after Jesus dies, raises from the dead, and sends him from heaven. So he tells us this is going to happen. He's been with you before, but the whole dynamic is going to change because now he's going to be in you. And we know through the prophet Joel that he's going to be in every believer, that he's going to pour his spirit out on all flesh, and that we know through Ezekiel that it's going to empower us to begin to live right? His truths, the truths that God requires of us. We know through Joel that it'll anoint us and release a new level of spiritual, uh, supernatural ability, right? Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will see visions. Your young men will dream dreams. There'll be this increased supernatural experience for all people that will trust in Christ. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, but you will receive power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth, the ends of the earth is what that passage says. So, and so what we see in scripture, if you know the story, is that Jesus comes, Jesus dies on the cross for the sins of the world. Jesus stays three days in that grave and three days later he steps out of the tomb He reveals himself to his followers in many various different forms. And then he tells them, wait in Jerusalem because the coming of the Holy Spirit is is now at hand. And so he goes up to the Father. He ascends into heaven. And then the disciples are staying in this place, just praying and seeking God, about 120 people. And so the disciples are praying and seeking God and praying and seeking God. In Acts chapter 2, something crazy happens. People have called it the birthday of the church, the inauguration of the church. The Holy Spirit fills the room. Tongues of fire hang out over the heads of the disciples. They all begin to speak in other languages and the church in that moment explodes and is born. Peter steps forward. He declares the truth of the gospel and in that one time, 3,000 people are saved and give their life to Jesus. And it inaugurates a new era in human history. Y'all with me so far? So how does this work for us? That was 2,000 years ago. How does this work for us? Let's walk through it. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. How does this work for us? The filling of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1. In him, this is verse 13 of Ephesians 1. In him, that's in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Okay, now check this out. This is very important. Stay with me today. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth. So how does your journey with God begin? 
Your journey with God begins by hearing the word of truth. The word of truth is that God made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, that Christ died in your place on the cross. The Bible calls it the good news. It is the entrance point into the presence of God and the opportunity for all your sins to be removed. It is life and joy and peace. And so it says that when we've heard this truth, the good news, the gospel of your salvation, and believed, then when you believe, something happens. It says you're, what's that word? Sealed. You're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And so that word sealed literally means stamped. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us that the one who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. And so your body actually becomes what the scripture describes as the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, this is how it worked. The way it worked was that the Holy Spirit and the, the, the presence of God, the tangible presence of God would dwell in the temple. And so the temple became the home of God, okay? The temple became the home of God. That was the place in which his spirit dwelled. Now, the scripture says there'll be a fundamental shift with the new covenant. This is why when the Samaritan woman asked Jesus, well, should we worship in Samaria? Should we worship in Jerusalem? And Jesus says, no, you don't understand. The day is coming. There's a whole new thing that's happening. And the thing that's happening today is now the spirit will live in every person and the temple of God becomes the believer. So you are the temple. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit and he puts his stamp on you. Now this is very important. Now, when the Holy Spirit comes to live in your heart, when you receive Christ, does God give you a junior varsity Holy Spirit? Does he give you a practice Holy Spirit? Yes or no? No, the, the Bible says there is no practice Holy Spirit. There is no junior varsity Holy Spirit. So it doesn't actually say that, but it, there is no junior varsity Holy Spirit, right? And so, so he doesn't give you a, 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 a little Holy Spirit, and he also doesn't give you, like, he doesn't divide the Holy Spirit. It's not possible to divide a person. He doesn't say, all right, let me slice you up, Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you the arm of the Holy Spirit. Done. No, he doesn't do that either. He gives you the whole Holy Spirit, right? The whole Holy Spirit begins to live inside you. This is critical, friends, because that means that there are no classes in the body of Christ. Hello? That means that maybe you operate in a specific gift of the Spirit, and maybe someone else does not operate in that specific gift. It does not mean that you have a, a, a senior varsity Holy Spirit, and he has a junior varsity Holy Spirit, right? It means that every single believer, every follower of Christ, this amazing mystery has taken place where your spirit and his spirit become one. The Bible says an, an, an analogous of this, a, an, an illustration of this is marriage. When two become one in marriage in the same way, in a much deeper and more substantive way, the Holy Spirit of God and your spirit are intertwined in an unbreakable bond where the two become one. This is the essence, the glory, and the beauty of salvation. Go ahead and just turn to the person next to you and slap them in the face. Go ahead, just do it. Just slap them right in the face. Say, do not fall. Don't. He just read more scripture than ever in a sermon. Go ahead, even if it's your wife. Say, Jesus loves you, and just give her a little. I beat my body and make it my slave so that after preaching to others, I may not be disqualified. Okay. And so this is what we see is happening in the scripture, okay? And so he doesn't give you a portion of the Holy Spirit. He gives you the entire Holy Spirit. However, there is, a, I, I ripped this analogy off from somebody else I saw and I, I thought it was excellent. However, there is a misunderstanding in which we think about the Holy Spirit. And so what we do is we do this. We say the Holy Spirit filled me and sealed me 
on the day of salvation, and my life is like a cup. It's all because David said, my cup overflows. We, our, all of our thinking is, is, that's a great passage of scripture, but it doesn't apply to this reality. And so what we think of is we think of a cup, and the Holy Spirit filled us. And so when somebody says to you, Jeremy, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you might think to yourself, well, I, I thought I was a believer in Jesus, which means I'm already filled, which if I'm already filled, why would I need to be filled, Right? And some of you may say, well, Justin, I operate in a specific gift, or I see the power of the Holy Spirit, or I came forward at a prayer meeting, and I was filled with the Holy Spirit, and so I'm a done, it's a done deal, right? I'm filled. And what I want to tell you today is that this understanding, the paradigm of the glass, is a flawed perspective of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Sorry, water bottle. It's a flawed perspective of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. See, it's not that you are already filled or that you need more. It's that God somehow, in his supernatural grace, and is a mystery, supernaturally enlarges your capacity to operate and experience the Holy Spirit. So the best way I can illustrate this is this. You're saved, and the day that you're born again The Spirit seals you, and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, right? And the Holy Spirit dwells in your heart by faith. You're rooted and grounded in love, and you have the Holy Spirit, all of him, 100% of him, the, the, the varsity Holy Spirit, not the junior varsity Holy Spirit, right? But then the scripture describes again and again an experience subsequent to salvation called the filling of the Holy Spirit. And that's a strange idea for us because we say, wait, I thought I was already filled. But what the scripture's describing is that even though you have the Holy Spirit, and even though he's given you access to the fullness, there is an experience in Christ after your salvation in which you can be filled or enlarged in your capacity to experience the Holy Spirit. So what just happened? Your capacity to operate in the Spirit increased. One of the great theologians of our time is a guy by the name of Wayne Grudem got a lot of uh, very interesting insights into the things of God he said this it helped me clarify I want to uh, read it to you he says being filled with the spirit is an event subsequent to conversion in which the believer experiences a fresh infilling with the Holy Spirit that may result in a variety of consequences including greater love of God greater victory over sin greater power for ministry and sometimes the receiving of spiritual gifts in other words he's saying you can receive a greater capacity or a greater increase for the Holy Spirit why am I telling you this all today because no matter where you are today we're going to end up in a few minutes at a place where i desire no matter where you're at in your christian walk that god would begin through my words and the clear explanation of scripture to plant in you a burning fervent hunger for a greater filling of the holy spirit that's where we're going ephesians 5 verse 18 ephesians 5 verse 18 it clarifies a little bit of this for us it says and do not get drunk with wine now here's a question What is the person looking for who is getting drunk with wine? Fundamentally, what they're looking for is an escape. What they're looking for is a satisfaction of the depth of their heart. What they're looking for is to pull away from reality. What they're looking for is to experience that excitement, that joy, that release, that tension, that freedom. What they're looking for is that that other person, that other reality. And the scripture parallels this to a different experience. It says, don't get drunk with wine. That is not the real thing. For that is debauchery. 
but be filled with the Spirit. Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled. It's a command, and if you're a grammar person, it's in the present imperative. In other words, it means be continually filled or be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's see this in the life of Peter. I want to illustrate it in my life as well. Life of Peter, Matthew 16. Peter comes to Jesus, and Jesus says to all his disciples, says, who do people say that I am? And Peter says, well, some say Elijah, some say da-da-da-da-da. And he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, the scripture tells us that no one can declare that Jesus is Lord except for the spirit of the Lord within them, right? And so he declares that Jesus is the Christ, and Jesus says, wow, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven revealed it to you. Most scholars would agree that Peter was saved at that point, that he had trusted in Christ, and that he understood that he was the Messiah. So he had the Holy Spirit, Right? But now in Acts chapter 2, they're told to wait in the upper room. Peter is waiting with them, and Peter is then filled with the Holy Spirit, right? That's what the scripture says. It says in Acts chapter 2 that Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. He begins to speak in tongues in another language, and then he begins to preach with a boldness that had to have come from the Holy Spirit because he was a coward just a few minutes before that, right? And so he experiences this new gift of preaching and this new spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. Now, you would think, and some uh, Christian streams would say, well, it's a done deal, He experienced the filling of the Holy Spirit. He's done. Just go and live your Christian life now. And what I would say is, friend, you've missed the essence of what it means to be filled. Because in Acts chapter 4, we find verse 8, Paul speaking before the Sanhedrin. And I mean, sorry, Peter speaking before the Sanhedrin. And when he's speaking before the Sanhedrin, the Bible says he was then filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, if he was already filled, why did he get filled again? Because the Holy Spirit, God just expanded his capacity to operate in the Spirit. In Acts chapter 4, verse 31 Peter, once again, who has already been filled with the Spirit as his conversion, filled with the Spirit on Pentecost, filled with the Spirit when he spoke to the Sanhedrin, now he's in an upper room with a bunch of other people praying. The scripture says in Acts 4 that the place that he was at was shaken, and everyone, including Peter, was once again, never guess, filled. Well, that's weird. If he's already full, why does God keep filling him? My experience, I gave my life to Jesus at 13 years old. And um, before that, had very little interest in the things of God and the things of faith. I like basketball and girls, not in that order. And, uh, and um, you know, I, that was my desire. And yet, at 13, God just literally ran me over. I was at a church service. There was nothing special. There was no magic lights. There was no, you know, just a very simple gospel presentation. It was like lightning struck my soul. I ran forward in front of about 400 people and said, I need Jesus. And I prayed with an individual to receive Christ. And in that moment, I was sealed in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God came to dwell within me. My spirit and his spirit became one. I was converted. I found right away a greater desire for God, a greater hunger for the scripture, a greater desire for uh, following God to tell other people about Jesus. The Holy Spirit came to dwell within my heart. 100% of him, not the junior varsity Holy Spirit, but all the Holy Spirit, right? This is so helpful because it means that there are no classes within the Christian faith, that we all have the spirit, one spirit, right? And so I've experienced that Spirit, now, about two years later, I was at a church service. <clears throat> this is where things will get spooky for you if you like to control everything. And this is where it got spooky for me. I was at a church service, and the power of the Holy Spirit seemed to be very present. Now, you're, you're hearing from a, a two-year saved, or even a year and a half saved, non-church-going, 
you know, non-practicing Catholic background kind of a kid. I hadn't experienced very many Holy Spirit things, okay? Maybe you grew up with Holy Spirit night. I didn't grow up with anything Holy Spiritish, And so I woke, you know, I, I, I get there and these people are falling down, which I thought was kind of strange. These people are shaking, weeping, all these types of things that are happening, right? And so um, this hunger in my heart had been building for more of God. And so I went up to receive prayer really as a 14 and a half, 15 year old skeptic saying, all right, God, I, I know you're real, but this seems all kind of weird to me. And this guy came up and prayed for me, and he just put his hand on my shoulder. And as soon as he put his hand in my shoulder, it was like electrical shocks went through my body. I can't explain that. I didn't ask for that. It's just something that God did. And I remember I literally fell down on the ground, completely conscious. Now, I'm sharing my experience to give you a, a, a framework. It will not look this way for you. I'm not going to say it's going to go one, two, three, four for you. I'm just sharing my experience, okay? And so, um, so I'm laying on the ground now, 15-year-old kid, 14-and-a-half-year-old kid. I'm laying on the ground, and I'm thinking to myself, I feel like an idiot. I'd like to get up now. And so laying on the ground, feeling like an idiot, I try to get up. And for the, this only happened to me one time in my life. This one time in my life, it felt like God's foot was standing on my chest. And I'm laying there, and I'm going, I'm unable to get up. This is weird. So now I'm talking to God. God, um, I'd really like to get up. And I understand that you're real and you just knocked me over. Now I'd like to get up. And I'm sitting there like a fish on the ground trying to get up. And I can't get up. And then I heard the Holy Spirit for the first time in such clarity and specificity. He said this. Stop trying to get up. I'm putting things back together on the inside. And you know what he was doing? He was filling me with the Holy Spirit. And I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I walked away from that encounter. I didn't preach any better. I had never preached at that point. I didn't experience any new level of spiritual gifts that I'm aware of. But all of a sudden, I had this deeper love for God. All of a sudden, I had this insatiable hunger for more of God. What did I experience there? Well, in, in the Western world, we love to classify everything. And I don't know that God is so into all of our classifications. What just happened to me was I experienced a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. And so this experience shifted my life because from then on I found within myself this greater desire for God, this greater longing for more of him. And you know, it was weird, but God sometimes does weird things. And so here I am, I find myself at 15 and a half and I start reading about this gift of tongues and prophecy and, and preaching. And I began to say, I want this. I desire this. And so for about two years, and this will not always be your experience. I'm not saying that. I'm just sharing mine. And so for about two years, I began to pray that God would give me this gift of speaking in tongues. And so I would lay on my bed. I'm not even joking. And I'd go, God, I read about it in the Bible. I see it in scripture. Other people have this gift. Would you do it to me? Should have bought a Honda. Bought a Subaru. Should have, a, should have bought a Honda. Should have bought a Honda. Oh, I think I got it. No, no, wait a minute. That's not it. God, would you do something? Would you do something in me? And so I just asked the Lord and asked the Lord. And, asked, and guess what? Guess what? Nothing happened. Nothing happened for like years. I mean, it was so long. And again, it doesn't have to be this way. God is not, he doesn't do these all things the same way. But I thought I had to earn his grace and I was all confused. And so I'm, I'm just working it and working it and nothing is happening. Finally, my friend Jim, who's still a very good friend of mine, uh, one day at a church service said, I- I'd like to pray for you that God would give you this gift of tongues. And so I said, yeah, yeah, I've been praying for it for a while and nothing's happening, so I'd like to pray for that too. And so he prayed for me. And within 10 seconds, 
I found this eruption in my spirit begin to flow out of my mouth and I started speaking in a language that I didn't know. And now that's become a personal prayer language that transforms my life. Now, not everyone does that. Not everyone speaks in tongues. I hungered and desired for that gift, and we'll get into the gifts specifically next week. We'll deal with all the gifts of the Spirit. It's going to be very exciting. Bring all your friends. But today, we just want to focus on the filling of the Spirit. And so what happened in that experience? God just enlarged my capacity. I was filled. Well, wasn't I filled before? Yeah. Well, wasn't I filled at conversion? Yeah. But I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I began to preach and speak with greater clarity. Now, some time went by, I was in college. And we had this opportunity to, at that point in our lives, uh, do a big outreach at the college campus, right? So all these students put on this big campaign. And the leader of the Christian organization asked me, I'm a junior in college, asked me if I would preach in front of my school. A little bit of urine just ran down my leg. And I was like, yeah, sounds great. You know, it sounds like a good plan. I was terrified. I was terrified. I remember the day had come and everybody's all set. It's all prepared. We had prepared for months and I'm standing in my college dorm room freaking out. Now, I could pray in tongues, but it wasn't helping in that moment. You know, I could preach in churches and it wasn't helping in that moment. I had fallen on the ground and gotten magnetically, you know, Velcroed to the floor, but that wasn't helping in this moment either. I was still terrified. And so I was saying to God, God, I need a breakthrough, God. I need something and I can't even explain it to you because God does supernatural things. But in that moment, something divine happened, friend. And God filled me with a supernatural boldness. And I can say this humbly because this is not Justin Kendrick. God filled me with a supernatural boldness that since that day, I have never been intimidated to share Christ. Before that day, I constantly struggled with fear, constantly struggled with worry and anxiety. But in that moment, the Lord filled me with something so sustaining that since that day I was 20 years old or 19 years old, I have literally never struggled with fear. People always ask me and say, well, aren't you nervous when you come out and preach or in a big arena, whatever, you know, wherever you are? And I said, no, I never feel nervous. You never feel nervous? No, I never feel nervous. Why? Well, if I had to get up there and talk about thermodynamics, I'd be terrified. But if I get up there and just talk about Jesus, I have, I have no fear. Why don't you have any fear? Well, because God filled me with a boldness when I was 19 and it just hasn't gone away. And I'm working on just keeping that. That's my plan. He filled me. One more example and then we'll move on to the rest of the scriptures. But I'm, what I'm saying to you here again and again and again is that you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm getting at. You say, well, Justin, I'm filled. I know. I, I, I believe you are. I want you to be filled. I know, but I'm already, I know. But I want you to be filled. I want to be filled. And so a few years after that, I was in Germany. And God had put in my, desire, in my heart a desire to see more people healed of sickness. Because I had prayed for a lot of people, and virtually no one got healed. I mean, it was awesome to pray. The Bible says to pray for the sick. I was praying, but nobody was getting healed. And I believe that there is a spiritual gift of healing. And I began to pray and say, God, I want to see more people healed. I want to pray for people, and I want to see people healed. And so I began to pray for that. And I found myself in the office of the pastor of the largest church in Germany. His name's Peter Wentz, great man of God. And so we're talking and praying. And he leaned forward, had no knowledge of what was happening in my life. I barely know him. He leaned forward and he said, you know, years ago, someone prayed for me for a filling of the Holy Spirit that I would see more healings. And I feel like God wants me to pray that for you right now. But I already had boldness. I already moved in some spiritual gifts. I already had experienced the power of God. I already had his love flowing in my heart. I've already been filled. I've got the cup full. No, God says I want to fill you. I want to expand your capacity. And so 
I put up my hands like this. And this man laid his hands on me and began to pray. And I can't even explain it. I'm not like a spooky guy, you know, typically. Pretty, pretty rational in most regards. He put his hand on me. It was like somebody just put a jacket on me. I physically felt like a jacket come on me. It's the weirdest thing. And I was like, wow. I walked out of his office like, feels like I have a jacket on. I don't even have a jacket on. It's the strangest feeling. What had happened? God had filled me, filled me. That night, I felt like, we should probably pray for the sick. <laughs> we started to pray for the sick since that day. I have seen a dramatic, now there are those that have a greater gift of healing than I do, but I began, since that day began to see a dramatic increase in the number of people that were healed that I pray for. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with me. What happened? I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I was filled, and this is the essence of Ephesians 5. Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. The point that I'm trying to make is that you need to be filled. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me talk about some of these benefits. What does it look like? When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it, God fills you with his love. This is the first one. I'm gonna give you six benefits. God fills you with his love. Romans 5, 5 says, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit he's given us. When I was stuck on the ground, more than ever, God just filled me and dumped his love into my soul. He filled me with this love. You may say, Justin, I love God and I like going to church, but I just don't love my neighbor. I don't have a desire. You need to be filled with a greater love from God. You need, I, I want a hunger to rise up in you. You, friend, you need a greater hunger for God. You need a greater love for God. Second thing, a benefit, is two, you're empowered to share Christ. We already looked at the scripture, but it says you'll receive power. This is the fundamental evidence or mark of the Holy Spirit, a power, a power in my life, a power to love. In this example, a power to witness, a power to share Christ. It says you'll be my witnesses because you've received this power. A filling of the Holy Spirit, number three, brings victory over sin. It gives you a greater victory over sin. Galatians 5, 16 says, but I say walk by the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. Maybe you're battling with a sin day in and day out. You need to cry out to God and say, God, fill me with your Spirit that I may operate in total freedom from this sin. Victory over sin. Number four, gives us fellowship with God. The filling of the Holy Spirit can bring greater fellowship with God, greater intimacy, a greater increase of nearness of God. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship, see the fellowship of your life, this koinonia, this intimate union between you and God is accessed through the Holy Spirit. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Fifth benefit is you're guided into truth. John 16 says that the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth. And he'll not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he'll speak. And he'll declare the things that are to come. Maybe you're at this place where you say, Justin, I just, I never know what God wants to say. I never know what God wants to do. We all feel that sometimes because we do walk by faith and not by sight. But I encourage you, cry out for a greater filling of the spirit. Cry out that God, would you fill me with your spirit that I would know and be guided by your spirit in a greater measure. And then number six, which we're going to dig into specifically next week, is that the Holy Spirit, when he fills you, gives you greater, uh, gives you spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 through 7 says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. 
There's a variety of services, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And so we, say that we see that God doesn't give everybody all the gifts, but he does give us each gifts. And we'll get into that next week. But this idea that God will give you supernatural gifts. You know the point that I'm trying to make here today? You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You, hello? You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you might say, well, Justin, I've already experienced a filling. I've already, I'm already full. Okay. Yes, you've been given all of the Holy Spirit and you need more. Well, how does that work? <laughs> I don't know. Justice and mercy kiss. God's mysterious. There's some things we don't understand, but what we do know is this. We know that God has filled you with his spirit. He sealed you in the spirit. He gave you 100% of, your, of his spirit when, he was, when you were converted. But he also has these subsequent experiences in which you can receive a greater filling, a greater empowering, a greater release. The scripture says in John 14, greater works than these will you do because I go to the Father. Friend, when you look at your life, if it's not consistently illustrating a greater anointing than Jesus, I urge you, ask him for more. Ask him for more. Seek him. Not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need a greater filling. Well, how do I receive it? How do I receive it? Let me give you two very practical action steps that I would urge you to embrace today. How do I receive it? First one, two action steps today. Number one. See what's available. First, you must see. This is why we talked the first uh, sermon on the importance of seeing. It's very interesting that many Christians don't see what's available, so they never ask God for what's available. And because they don't see what's available, they never receive what's available. Now, sometimes God in his sovereignty just blows through all of our issues and just, boom, does a great filling of the Holy Spirit and gives people gifts and powers they never even asked for. But most of the time, we have to seek him. We have to earnestly desire that, and we'll get to that in a second. But what, what, what I'm saying first is you must see it. And just as Elisha's servant did not see the army around him from heaven, so we often don't see what God has made available for us. First Peter 1.3 in the NASB says it like this. Seeing that his divine power has granted us everything. Isn't that interesting? Seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who's called us by his glorious... Go to the next one. Who's called us by his own glory and excellence, right? And so what we see is that God's called us but we must see it. It's kind of like this. If you had, you know, $7 million in a bank account, but you just didn't know it was there. You kept checking your Bank of America on your phone. You're like, oh, it says I got 50 bucks. Oh, it says I got 50 bucks. Oh, and maybe your app was broken or something. And, and all of a sudden, one day, you realize that there's $7 million in there. You just saw it. See, first you've got to see it or you're never going to use it, right? First you've got to see it. Then you can make the withdrawal. See what's available. The second action step that I want to encourage you to do. So what is available? Well, powerful gifts of the Spirit are available. A greater increase of His love is available. I just gave you six benefits. Greater victory over sin is available. All these things are available in Christ if you would just seek the Lord for a greater filling. You need to be filled. I don't know if I mentioned that or not. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Second thing, ask with perseverance. Ask 
with perseverance. So in other words, what we first have to do is see, and then we have to ask. And it says this, and we'll get into this next week. It says, pursue love and earnest. Why would you pursue love? You would pursue love because love is something that the Holy Spirit will fill your heart with to a greater capacity. That's why you should pursue it. Pursue love because you can be more in love with God than you are today. You can have a greater love for your neighbor than you do today. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Earnestly desire. We should have an earnest desire for these things. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus tells a very interesting story to illustrate a point. He tells a story about two neighbors, one of which just had a friend come and visit. And so the neighbor who had the friend come and visit realized he doesn't have any food to feed the neighbor or the friend who just showed up. And so he knocks on the door of his neighbor and says, oh, excuse me, Bill, can I borrow some bread? Bill's already in bed. He's sleeping. He goes, go, go away. I'm already sleeping. And he knocks again. He says, no, 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 no. Come on. I need to borrow some bread. Go away. I'm sleeping. No, man, come on, just get your buns up. I need to borrow some bread. Go away, I'm sleeping. After a while, he literally just wears them down. And the guy says, finally, fine, I'll just take, take my bread. Jesus tells that story, and then he says this in verse 13. Throw it up there. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In other words, he's not trying to say God is a lazy bread giver. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is that you must be persistent like this annoying neighbor. You must have continued shameless knocking. It doesn't mean that you earn it. It doesn't mean that you can deserve or earn the Holy Spirit. These are gifts. But God, in his grace, requires that we knock more than once. We'll end with this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Bank, come out. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Covered a lot of scripture today. Hopefully, we cleared up the fog. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you might say, Well, Justin, I've experienced a great filling. That's awesome. So have I. And I want more. Well, God's put this great desire for this particular gift in my heart. Then pursue God for it, earnestly desire it. Because I don't, I don't imagine that Satan's going to put a desire for spiritual gifts in your heart. It's probably God that put that desire. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. We try to do that around here. Stick on Jesus. And when I was with you, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. This makes me feel good as a preacher. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. There are a people who understand that we must demonstrate the power of the Spirit if we ever want to reach a broken world. It's not enough to have great doctrine, although doctrine is critical. It's not enough to have good friendships, although friendships are critical. You must be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you might say, Justin, I, I've experienced some of God's power. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus. And you're here today and you say, I, I feel like the Holy Spirit lives in me. Well, the good news is he does. Scripture says you've been sealed in him. 
But there is an experience subsequent to conversion that will give you a greater filling, a greater passion, a greater love. Would you ask the Lord for those things? Would you ask the Lord to release new spiritual gifts? Listen, I have to tell you, God's used me in many of the spiritual gifts that we'll dig into next week, but I still am asking him for more. You might say, well, Justin, aren't you just happy with what you have? Well, the Bible says to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And so I earnestly desire them because I want to live like Jesus. And I got a ways to go. Come stand your feet with me. You know, what would it look like today, guys? If you and I, as a community, just begin to ask the Lord for a greater filling of the Holy Spirit. What would it look like? Something might happen that, you know, is kind of weird. I'm okay with that. Because sometimes God does things like that. And it's not new to us. He's been doing it for all of human history. He's talking through donkeys. He's knocking people over. God's doing some crazy stuff. And that's just because he's God and we're not. And so he gets to do those things. And you don't pursue an experience. That's, that's wrong. You pursue him. Just pursue him. But don't be afraid and don't stop if God wants to touch you in a powerful way. Just pursue him. And so this morning, I want to take a few minutes, and we'll be doing this all through this Natural Supernatural series, that God would place in our heart, first, a greater hunger, second, a greater awareness, and then thirdly, a greater experience in the Holy Spirit. And I would urge you today to begin to ask him, Lord, open up my eyes. And then secondarily, Lord, fill me with your spirit. What would happen if you and I together collectively began to ask the Lord in our community for a greater filling? Don't you realize that your capacity can be expanded? Don't you realize that you might be a Christian for 30 years, but God may have a greater spiritual gift for you? And all you've got to do is begin to ask him. All you've got to begin to do is seek and knock. All you've got to begin to do is ask with perseverance, pursue love, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. How much more will the Holy Spirit God give? the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Ask him. Ask him. Ask him. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. What if a hunger rose up? How many of us have lived way too content with what we've currently experienced? Would you ask him today? Maybe you've experienced some great gifts. Would you ask him today? Maybe you've not experienced any. You feel like any of the gifts of the Spirit. You'd be surprised. I'll show you all the gifts next week, but maybe you, there's one or two that you really desire we begin to ask him right now what if what if at first service on December I think it's December 2nd 2012 God filled you with his Holy Spirit in a whole new capacity right now can he do that yes he can let's take some time to sing let's meditate on his love and let's ask him right now God would you fill us We hope you've been challenged and encouraged by this City Church podcast. Visit City Church at www.ourcitychurch.org.